0: Good morning. I want to say thank you to Pastor Steve for giving me the privilege of sharing with you out of God's word uh, this morning. Having pastored for 45 years and in Bridge Street Church for 20 years before we moved here to BCC, I'm more than aware that some people come to church on a Sunday morning with an agenda there are certain subjects they want to hear preached about. And they think that their particular subject is what the church should major on. And when the preacher commences with anything remotely connected to their preference, they sit up like excited meerkats, all sparkly-eyed and bushy-tailed. And if it's not, there's a look of resignation on their face which says they've missed it again. And they kind of drift off, thinking what it could have been if only the preacher had listened to the Holy Spirit and to them. And as a pastor and having the privilege with my wife Ruth of being part of the prayer ministry team, I've increasingly come to understand that not just a few of us have issues with the things that life throws at us. Sometimes on a daily basis, sometimes it may be a a crisis, sometimes with no seeming way out and a, a sense of no way of getting through. So, with apologies to the meerkats, I want us to share together from God's word about some of these other issues. And I'm reading from the book of Psalms and reading Psalm 13, a psalm that some of you will be very familiar with. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Just listen to David again, those first two verses. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? But then listen to his own response to the things that have been happening in his life and his own response to the questions he has just raised. Verse 5 and 6. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. The tears of Jesus in the presence of Mary and Martha, as they grieved over the death of their brother Lazarus, the anguish of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, they give us permission and encouragement to cry out to God in our difficult times. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. Father, if you are willing Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was killed by some Orca Indians, as he sought to share the love of God with them, and herself a woman no stranger to suffering. She wrote in her book, A Path Through Suffering, When our souls lie barren in a winter, which seems hopeless and endless. God has not abandoned us. His work goes on. He asks our acceptance of the painful trust, of the painful process and trust that He will indeed give resurrection life. And here's the good news this morning, friends. One day, Eva will end, suffering and weeping as real and as profound as they are. But for God's children, they are only temporary. Eternal joy is on its way. Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, it repeatedly connects God's word to our afflictions. Nearly all of its 176 verses mentions God's word in one form or another. And it's remarkable how many of those verses speak about affliction. Verse 25, I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. Verse 28, my soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Verse 50, my comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. Verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your laws are righteous and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Verse 143, trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands are my delight. Verse 153, look upon my suffering and deliver me, for I have not forgotten your laws. And in a time of darkness, a time of suffering, King David affirmed, as recorded in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And I want you to notice there how David talks to himself About God's faithfulness and his goodness. And he encourages himself to wait on God through this dark time. And I want to say to you this morning friends. It is good to talk to yourself. It is good to listen to what you are saying to yourself. With this one proviso. That what you talk involves speaking God's word into your life. It involves ministering into your own life the word of God. J.C. Ryle wrote this in his expository thoughts on the Gospels. He says, there's nothing which shows our ignorance so much as our impatience under trouble. We forget that every cross is a message from God and intended to do us good in the end. Trials are intended to make us think to wean us from the world to send us to the bible to drive us to our knees the words of jesus john 16:20 he says i tell you the truth you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices you will grieve but your grief will turn to joy now is your time of grief but i will see you again and you will rejoice And no one will take away your joy. You see, Jesus could have said, your grief will end and your joy will begin. He could have said, joy will replace your grief. But that would mean he's separating grief and joy. But what Jesus actually said, he connects them. He says, your sorrow will turn into joy. Your grief will become joy. The message paraphrase says, you'll be sad, very sad. But your sadness will develop into gladness. And that is the truth of God's word. Esther 9.22. Sorrow turns into joy. Psalm 30.11. Wailing turns into dancing. Jeremiah 31.31. Mourning turns into gladness. And I make no apologies whatsoever this morning. For using so much scripture. Because it's the word of God that we desperately, desperately need. To be rooted In our lives. It's a sword to attack with. It's a shield to defend us with. It's the rock on which we stand. In the storms of life. It's sure. It's certain. It is the word of the living God. So please hear me. This is for some who are here this morning. Others you may need just to hide it in your heart. For a future time when you will need it. God sovereignly rules over our greatest adversities and heartaches. And he pledges to be with us while we go through those things. The Lord says to us, you know these verses so well. Isaiah 43 verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you when you walk through the fire you will not be burned the flames will not set you ablaze david says in psalm 16 and verse 8 i have set the lord always before me because he is at my right hand i will not be shaken and that concept i will set the lord before me it actually means i will recognize god's presence he is always with me he will never be away from me. And recognize he is there to help me in the good times and in the difficult times. God promises, you know this verse so well, Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. In the Greek, there are five negatives in that one verse. And Kenneth West translates it I will not. I will not cease to sustain and uphold you. I will not, I will not, I will not let you down. You know, one of the many things I love about the word of God is its honesty. And the Bible models honesty with God concerning the whole problem of evil and suffering and heartache. Job is a man who very candidly expresses his doubts as he questions God about the things that he's going through. Job 7, 11, 16 and 20. I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. I despise my life. If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? And just as God knew exactly how Job felt before he said a word, so this morning, friend, God knows how you feel. He knows exactly how I feel. We can't hide it from him, so there's no need trying to. When we pretend that we don't feel hurt, or we're not angry, or we're not resentful, Or somehow we're devastated. We're not fooling God. We need to be honest. Ruth 1 verse 20. Naomi cries out. The Almighty has made my life very bitter. Psalm 22 1. David asked. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus asked the same question on the cross. So please don't misunderstand me. I'm not encouraging us to be angry at God or to blame him. He deserves no blame whatsoever. But rather I'm encouraging us to honestly confess to God our sometimes feelings of hurt, maybe sometimes feelings of resentment, and yes, maybe even anger. I'm encouraging us to follow David's example in the psalm that we have just read together. And in three verses, David travels a massive distance From the first four verses and then at the end affirming the truth of God's love to him. I find the book of Job to be one of the most challenging and insightful books of the Bible. In relation to how we should deal with suffering and heartache. How we should deal with the stuff that life throws at us. There are so many lessons, valuable lessons to be learned in its pages. Here are some of them. I'm reading through Job again at the moment. Life is not predictable or formulaic. None of life's expectations and suffering's explanations are simplistic and naive, ready just to be toppled. When the day of crisis comes, we should pour out our hearts to God who can handle our grief. Even handle our anger. We should not turn from God. And internalize our anger. Although it can be deep and can be deep. But if we do that, it turns into bitterness. We should weigh and we should measure the words of friends. Of authors. Of teachers. And counselors finding whatever truth they might speak without embracing their errors or getting derailed by their insensitivities. We should not insist on taking control by demanding explanation for the things that happen in our lives. We should look to God and ask God to reveal himself as the answer above every answer. We should trust that God is working behind the scenes and that our suffering, our heartache has hidden purposes that one day, even if not in this life, we will understand. And we should cry out to Jesus, our mediator and our friend, whom Job could only glimpse but he is the one who indwells us by his grace. Please friends, hear this truth this morning. Properly responding to suffering and heartache brings eternal reward. Properly responding brings eternal reward. The Bible says of Moses in Hebrews 11, 25, 26. Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Why? He says because, because he was looking ahead to his reward. And all of those that are spoken of in Hebrews 11, they all endured in one form or another tests some of them very severe tests. But none of them had an easy life, if you know those people who are recorded there. And yet they all clung to their belief in God's promises. They all trusted in God's goodness and believing, as it says in verse 6, He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. You know, very sadly, the doctrine of eternal reward is one of the most neglected teachings in the Western Church. It partly explains why so many people embrace prosperity teaching. And it also partly explains the failure to face suffering with a greater perspective and to anticipate what awaits us in heaven. Paul says first Corinthians 9:24 Do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize Run in such a way as to get the prize and he commands us in 2 Timothy 2 to endure hardship and then he gives us examples soldiers athletes farmers and each of them has a goal in mind whilst they are still enduring A goal of victory, a goal of a crown, a goal of a harvest. And to some people here in BCC this morning, I want to say to you, God counts as precious our faithfulness in the difficult times in our lives. And he will never forget it. In Psalm 56 and verse 8, David asks God, record my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? David believed that the things that life threw at him and the things that he went through, that God counted it as precious. So precious that God kept an account of every tear. And that gives very special meaning To the promise in Revelation 21.4 that God will wipe away every tear from his children's eyes. Please hear me friends. Our tears are recorded in heaven's books. God is keeping track of the pain behind those tears. And he will deal with them. So let me begin to come to a close by sharing about what for many people is one of life's most difficult issues to face. In fact, it is so difficult that for some people, they won't even talk about it, even though it is life's greatest certainty. And life's greatest certainty is death. And I know it's not something we often talk about And I know you're thinking, I really don't want to hear this this morning, but here it is. From the beginning of creation to this present time and beyond, unless Jesus returns, this is certain, friends. We will all die. Tell the person next to you, you're going to die. OK? Listen, friends. Listen. No exercise program, no diet, no therapy can prevent death. Even the young die from overdoses, from accidents, from diseases. Famous sports stars and models, Hollywood and Bollywood stars... Business moguls, kings, queens, presidents, prime ministers, they all die. Listen to David, Psalm 39, foregoing. Show me, O Lord, my life's end. The number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You've made my day a mere hang breath. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Friends, we shouldn't obsess about death. But listen, neither as God's children should we follow our culture's lead in denying death Or trying to ignore it. Until it thrusts itself upon us. You see when we fail to face death. We remain unprepared. For what awaits us. On the other side. All of us. Whatever our age may be. We live. Our short todays in the light of what A.W. Tozer called the long tomorrow. For many, they receive a terminal diagnosis, and for some, it's the very first time that they have faced the bittersweet blessing of coming to terms with their mortality. So many people, and if I may say, so many Christian people try to ignore death or live in denial about death. But the truth is, friends, we cannot avoid it. There's an old story of a slave who travelled with his master to Baghdad. And early one morning, as he was walking through the marketplace, the slave saw death in human form. And he recoiled back in terror, convinced that death-threatening look meant that he intended to take him that day. And the slave ran to his master, ''I've seen death,'' he wailed. ''Please let me free on my camel so I can reach Samara where death cannot find me.'' His master agreed and the terrified slave set off on his 15-hour journey to Samara. And a few hours later, the master himself saw death. And he boldly approached him and asked him, ''Why did you give my servant such a threatening look?'' ''That wasn't a threatening look,'' Death replied.'' That was a look of surprise. I was amazed to see your servant in Baghdad because I have an appointment with him tonight in (laughs) Samarra. Now, of course, we know it's our righteous master and not death who has the power to call us home at his appointed time. But that story teaches us a very valid point, friends. None of us knows the time and place of our death. Neither can we know its manner. And there is nothing we can do to escape it. Ecclesiastes 8.8 puts it like this. No man has power over the wind to contain it. So no one has power over the day of his death. And friends, the statistics are clear. 100% of people die. But here's the truth. Wise people live in the light of death certainty. You see, the last thing that most people want to think about is actually the last thing that they'll do, and that is die. But it's the last thing they want to give thought to. In the oldest Psalm, Psalm 90, verse 10 and 12, Moses wrote these words, The length of our days is 70 years, or 80 if we have strength. And yet their span is but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. Teach us to number our days aright. That we may have a heart of wisdom. Just yesterday I read this in my Bible reading. Man's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months. And have set limits that he cannot exceed. You see as Christians we get Two opportunities to live on earth. The first one begins and ends. It's just like a, a dot. And the second opportunity is like an infinite line extending on forever. Every one of us sitting here this morning is living in the dot. But if we're wise friends, we live for the line. 2 Peter 3.13, in keeping with God's promise, we are looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth, the home of righteousness. And there's just two things that stand between where we live now and that marvelous world where we will live together. And those two things are death and resurrection. Friends, if we never died, we will never be resurrected. We'd never enjoy that Glorious eternity with Christ and our spiritual family. So while death is, as Paul very clearly says, it's an enemy, it's part of sin's curse, because of Christ's death and resurrection, it's simply the dark passage through which we enter into the brilliance of never-ending life. I can't stress this enough, friends. We really do need a biblical And right perspective on death. We need a biblical. And right perspective on death. Death is not the worst thing. That can happen to us. For us as God's children. Death leads to the very best. You see to die apart. Outside of Jesus Christ is the most terrible thing that could ever happen. It means the end of all opportunity, the end of all hope. But to die loving Christ, living with him as Lord and Savior, means spending eternity with God. That's what Justin Martyr meant when he wrote to his persecutors way back in AD 150. He said to them, you can kill us, but you can't hurt us. Dying is far better for the Christian than doing evil. It's much worse to deny Christ than to die. And you see, at death, sin will end. And we will be with him forever. Now having said all that, our grief at death is real. And it's deep. Ruth and I were at my mother's bedside when she died we were at my sister's bedside when she died we were at Ruth's mother's bedside when she died and as a pastor I have been at the bedside of babies been in ICU with a baby and the support machines had to be switched off been with a baby who only lived for 47 minutes I've been with young people And middle aged people. And older people. When they have died. The Bible assures us. And it assumes. That people will grieve. Job grieved unbearably. When he lost his ten children. The widow of Nain. Grieved at the loss of her son. And received compassion from Jesus. Men stoned Stephen to death. And even though his Friends knew that he was far better off with the Lord. It didn't stop his friends from mourning their loss. Acts 2, Acts 8 verse 2 says, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned greatly for him. It's abnormal, friends, not to grieve when loved ones die. You see, death isn't a natural part of life as God intended it. Death is the unnatural result of evil. And yet... God has removed the sting of death through Christ's death and resurrection. And that explains the appropriate sense of peace and triumph that so often accompanies the funeral of a Christian. This is what the Bible says. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, those who die, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. As a pastor, I've conducted many many funerals of Christians and of non Christians. And as you look out into the congregation, I want to tell you this, friends the tears are just as real for the Christian as they are for the non Christian. But what you also see is hope. You see a right perspective. You see a peace in the midst of mourning. When the loved one knows Christ, the promise overshadows everything. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order has passed away. You hear people say when a loved one dies, we've lost them. Friends, if your loved one's a Christian, you don't lose them. You don't lose them. We know where they are. We know that in the resurrection we will live with God and with them on the new earth. And we should never restrict our vision by the narrow horizons of this world. We should never restrict our vision by the narrow horizons of this world. Paul says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than any man. Listen friends, death for the Christian is not goodbye. Death for the Christian is as you Yorkshire people say, see you later. That's what death is. See you later. Ecclesiastes 7.2 Death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Please permit me to say this both pastorally and I hope lovingly. Speak openly of death with your dying family members. If you're the one who's dying, talk about it directly. Read passages like Philippians 2, verses 20 to 23, and Revelation chapters 21 and 22, Psalm 23, verses 4 and 6. Don't let discomfort, don't let denial keep you from walking Hand in hand with your family through the valley of death's shadow. Where God can comfort. And he can calm fears. And where cups can overflow. And where you can celebrate and anticipate God's goodness and love. I remember just a few years ago doing that very same thing with a member of this congregation. And later she told her unsaved husband what a comfort and peace and joy it had brought to her in those last hours of her life. In his book, The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren quotes from Matthew Henry. He says this, It ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our last day. And I would say a big amen to that. over the past two or three months, I've been... Very challenged by the story of the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings and chapter 4, and especially that woman's response, where the son that she had longed for and miraculously conceived and gave birth to, when he himself died, she told her husband, as the NIV puts it, It's all right. Personally, in this instance, I like the AV version. She said, it shall be well. And then, Elijah's servant asked her, is it well with the child? And the response was, it is well. It is well. She was a woman, friends, who had hope in the dark times. And that is what God looks for in people like me and people like you. Whatever life may throw at us, we have hope in the dark times. And for some of you this morning, I personally do know some of the issues you are facing, some of the things that life has thrown at you. But for many of you, I don't know. But God does. And I have a challenge this morning. It's for myself. It's also for each one of us. Whatever it may be. However long has been the struggle. However dark it may be for you. However many tears you have shed. And however many prayers you have prayed. Please hear me, friends. There is hope in the dark times. There is hope in the dark times. And here's the challenge. It's to me, it's to all of us. Can we this morning, right here, right now, respond with the words of the Shunammite woman? We may just choose to say them quietly within We may choose to whisper them. We may choose to speak them out. We may choose to shout them out. How we do it actually doesn't really matter. But I believe with all my heart that God is asking us for a response. Whatever life has, whatever life is, whatever life will throw at us. Can we this morning as a declaration of hope in the darkness... Say with the Shunammite woman, it is well. Let's do it together. It is well. It is well. God bless you.